hours every weekday covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. It was great music before. And now we are getting ready for this wonderful, wonderful Shabbos retreat. I got to say last week, and I look here at the message board in the studio, and I see how many messages we got last week. It was quite interactive. I guess it was somewhat of an interesting discussion and uh, certainly got people involved and excited. So if you want to get involved today... You're most welcome to as well. We'd be really excited to have your participation in today's discussion as well. Well, today I want to talk about Shabbos. It's going to be the Shabbos project. We'll get back to our previous discussion, the present JLI course, Wrestling with Faith, because that is no doubt a very popular and a topic which people participated in. But let's talk a little bit about Shabbos. You know, last month was filled with festivals, lots of holidays, lots of days off work for shul, or however you chose to celebrate in your own unique, beautiful way. Well, there's one festival that we are privileged to get every single week. And this week, a lot more people will be participating in celebrating Shabbos. So what I'd like to do today, I thought it would be nice to go through a little bit in some of, to, some of the significance and symbolisms of our Shabbos meal, because we often sit at our Shabbos dinners and wonder, why do we do this and why do we do that? Why is it that we have the challahs and the wine and the shalom aleichem? So I figured I'd talk a little bit about that today, and I thought maybe I could introduce it with a little bit of an anecdote about a group of tourists who were traveling, and I think they were at Kilimanjaro, so not so far away, but quite a distance. And they had several of the native porters who were helping them carry the supplies while they were hiking the mountain. And you know, it's a treacherous, it's a long journey, and you got to be fit and ready for it. And that's what these porters do. They're here to help you out. They're sort of your caddies. And after a couple of days, the porters told them that they're going to have to stop and rest for a day. So one of the tourists asks, why are you tired? What's the matter? We're keen to keep on going. And the the porter says, actually, no, we're not tired. The problem is that we've walked too far, too fast, and now we have to wait for our souls to catch up to us. I thought that was really profound because we also were working all week. We work so hard, and oftentimes, even myself as a rabbi, and I'm sure some of the rabbis would agree, I, it's, I oftentimes marvel at this. I thought being a rabbi means you sit and learn Torah all day and maybe counsel some people along the way, but didn't realize how much administrative work and schlepping. We got this fabulous Shabbos retreat coming up tomorrow with one, lots of guests joining us and there's a great menu and it's a wonderful retreat coming up, but it takes a lot of work and it's draining. It is really exhausting. I can't wait for Shabbos myself. So here it is. The porters tell these hikers climbing Kilimanjaro that they need to wait for the souls to catch up. And I think the same thing about ourselves is that oftentimes we're working so hard, we forget about our souls. And Shabbos is the day that we stop to let our souls catch up to us. There's a great animated cartoon about Shabbos that was made by a company in Israel. And it could be it was related to the Shabbos project. But Google it, you can find it depicts a very busy day in a 
busy street, city street. It could have been Tel Aviv, but I think it was Manhattan. And a lot of the noise and a lot of traffic. And you see policemen in the middle of the tra- middle of the all the traffic there directing everyone. But the only problem with a policeman is that he doesn't have a face. It's quite peculiar. He has no face. He just has a whistle in place of his head. And then you see many people walking down the street, but nobody's got a face. One person has a computer monitor for his head. Another one has a a Mont Blanc pen for his head. The other one's got a wrench for his head. Each one's got something else. It's a faceless world. And you see, I think the, whoever the illustrators, the graphic designers of this particular cartoon, they really got the animation right. Because we're, they were depicting this world that we've become, everyone's become their job. There's no longer people with jobs. They are jobs. I thought the phone was going to be something, a convenience that's going to help us, and then I get to spend more quality time with my family. No. The phone makes us now working 24 hours a day, and thank God for Shabbos, otherwise it would be 24-7. Because people expect that we respond to their SMS, to their WhatsApp, 10 seconds before we received it, and now with all the blue ticks, you could see the person received it, if they if they read it, and you could see if they're typing, if they're responding, you could get impatient. And I come from a city where we have a serenity prayer, it goes like this, dear God, I want patience, and I want it now. So this is very much the way it, I feel it's become, very much like the cartoon depicts it, a faceless world, we become our jobs. Isn't there some song, I'd rather be a hammer than a nail? Well, that's exactly what happened. Everyone has become their career. We've become hammers and wrenches and computers, cell phones, pens. And the cartoon goes on to depict the feeling of stress on the street. Every few moments you see a clock that's ticking towards some set time. We all have got deadlines. In fact, the Rebbe discouraged using the word deadline because it had such a negative connotation. He preferred we use words like due date. It implies birth, something that's much greater, something more beautiful. And instead of becoming the attaché case for a head, you know, that's the way they depict it in the cartoon. And everyone's just rushing in all the directions. When he finally reaches his house, he enters, he sits down on this comfortable couch, and an alarm clock rings. At that moment, his attaché case head melts into a radiant, smiling face. And the fellow in this cartoon says... Shabbat Shalom. And so, as the whole community, and credit to our chief rabbi, the whole universe, so many people catching on, regardless of their denomination and communities, all joining in, in keeping it together. As you've noticed, all the ads on the bus stations and everywhere else, stop doing, start being. That's the message of this Shabbos. We sit around the Shabbos table. We get together with our family and heads. And instead of seeing computer heads and pinheads, instead, we see our wonderful family and our friends celebrating Shabbos together, singing the beautiful, melodious Shabbos Miros and our radiant, smiling Shabbos faces. And so, tomorrow evening, when you get to Shul, and one of the famous songs we sing, L'Chadodi, is... One of the great lines that I love in L'Chadodi is Penei Shabbos Nekabala. L'Chadodi Likras Kala. Come, my beloved, toward the bride. 
Pene Shabbos, the face of Shabbos, Nekabla, we're going to receive. What does it mean to receive the face of Shabbos? Well, if during the week our face has become a briefcase or a wrench or a computer or a cell phone or whatever else, Shabbos is the time that we celebrate and Penei Shabbos, all of a sudden we get this beautiful new face, the face of Shabbos, it's a, a Shabbos facelift. And the face of Shabbos that reflects serenity and holiness and love, that's Shabbos. That's what we look forward to. That is the day of rest. And what better time to celebrate with family and friends. So, as the Torah says, that Hashem blessed Shabbos with a radiance, that's what we see on each other's faces all of a sudden, during the week, we're farmatted, we're exhausted, we're jaded, we're tired. Shabbos comes. We have this radiant look. We don't have to be anything but joyous, celebrating the beauty of Shabbos. And so, we come home from shul. What do we do? What's the first thing? Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharis, Malachi Elion. We greet our guest. That's interesting. When you come home, we're not just greeting the guest, but we have a very special guest who accompanies us, who escorts us to our homes. And those are the Shabbos angels. And the Talmud tells us that ministering angels accompany us home from shul on Friday night. And when the angels see the table beautifully prepared and set for Shabbos, and the Shabbos tranquility that settled over the house, they bless the family. But we must remember that on Shabbos, we're not only welcoming heavenly angels. You know, come to think of it, during the whole work week, we're so busy with our jobs, with our phones and computers and all types of distractions. There are those deadlines, or rather due dates to meet, obligations to fulfill, bills to be paid. And there are conferences and business meetings and commitments. And there's house cleaning and laundry and shopping and schlepping and all the stuff that we got to do. We're so busy that we often forget about the angels that God has sent into our lives. And I'm not talking about these heavenly angels. I'm talking about our loved ones, our spouses, our children, our friends. So Friday night, when we're finally free from all those pressures of work, we look up, and perhaps sometimes for some people, it's the first time in the whole week that we noticed our loved ones. We appreciate them, and we say, Shalom Aleichem, welcome, my dear heavenly angels. Thank you, God. God for sending these beautiful angels, these beautiful people into my life. And then when God's angels who have followed us home see that we've gathered around the Shabbos table giving time and loving attention to one another, to our beautiful family, then those heavenly angels shower us with an abundance of heavenly blessings. And so my friends, we're now going to take a break to listen to those who sponsor our opportunity here on Soul to Soul, and then we'll continue with the next magnificent blessing, the woman of valor, a wonderful song, an ode to the beautiful woman of our lives. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 IFM. Welcome back to Salt of Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Keith, and it's that time of year again. The people electric and the stores are packed. It's the time when the world comes together, keeps it together, and lives it together. This year's Shabbos project is starting tomorrow. 
and it truly promises to be the best one yet. So keep a lookout for your area's programs. The youth have, the youth have taken over and they've created a revolution. Let's get ready to make history. For more info and to find out what's going on at your shul, go to the shabbosproject.org. Let's keep it together. And I'll tell you what's going on in our place. We've got two Shabbos retreats, one in Santon Central at our shul, Kirsch Goodness and Kindness Center. And then we've got another one happening at Hunter's Rest Hotel. And I'll tell you what, it's not too late to join either of them. Although bookings have closed, we do have a few rooms left. If you want to join us at Hunter's Rest Hotel for a fabulous Shabbos retreat or... You could still join us for dinner in Santon Central tomorrow evening. Just let us know. Call us at Chabad House or find me, Rabbi Ari Kievman, and I'll make sure you get a booking. Or you could still join us at the Shabbos Retreat Hunter's Rest. Again, you must call me now if you want a space to join us at the Hunter's Rest Shabbos Project Retreat. Well, my friends, I promised I'll talk about the woman of valor. Let's talk a little bit. You know... There's an anecdote they say about Winston, Winston Churchill that he once at a formal banquet in London where the attending dignitaries were asked a question. They were asked, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? And everyone was naturally curious to see what Churchill would say. Would he rather be Napoleon? Would he rather be Moses? Would he rather be Alexander the Great? And when it finally came his turn, he got up on the chair and he said, if I cannot be who I am, I would most like to be Mrs. Churchill's second husband. My friends, Judaism agrees exactly with that sentiment of Winston Churchill. And it reminds men to cherish their wives. In fact, it's the only faith I know of in which the husband sings this mandatory love song to his spouse once a week. The truth is, I don't know what the other religions have. I could only speak for us. But we certainly have this mandatory love song, an ode to our wives each week. When I say wives in plural, I'm only talking about, someone asked me, how many wives could you have? Yes, it's true that Judaism allows for polygamy, but that's been banned since the invention of the credit card. Okay, no chauvinistic jokes. All right, fine. I'm only kidding. You know, they say that, why some Haredim today are marrying more women than one, than why Haredim are marrying more women are allowing polygamy once again. It's because the men can't survive on one wife's income alone. Okay, bad joke, I know, I'm sorry. But as we prepare for the Kiddush ceremony, the husband and all the members of the family, everyone sings Aisha's Chayel together. And as a kid, of course, I sang it to my mother. So whoever the beautiful woman is in your life, whether it's your wife, whether it's your mother, whether it's your girlfriend, whether it's your sister, whoever it might be, sing to them, Aisha's Chayel. It's a song that comes from the book of Proverbs and has a double meaning. On the one hand, it's a praise for the woman in the house, but it's also a praise of God, the feminine element of the Shekhinah, who is in a sense a mother to all of us, the true housekeeper of the world. And so let's look a little bit at the meaning of the song Eshet Chayel. And in many, in, in a series of, of senses, the lyrics of the song describes a personality of great power, of nobility. She's an energetic businesswoman, active inside and outside the home. She's involved in the welfare of strangers as well as her family, a woman of wisdom and kindness. And the words of the song 
we say she's clothed with strength and dignity. But perhaps what's most profound about the Eshes Chayel is that it describes this woman's ability to maximize her potential in every arena, fully realizing her own hopes and dreams and those of others as well. So it's fitting that on Shabbos we honor this ability of Jewish wives and mothers by building good lives for themselves and by nurturing their loved ones. They give strength to generation after generation of Jews. And so we sing Eshet Chayel, we sing this beautiful song to our loved ones. And after Eshet Chayel, we bless our children and get on with Kiddush. We formally sanctify Shabbos by reciting Kiddush over a cup of wine. And indeed, we sanctify every Jewish festive meal with wine. Whether it's Pesach Seder, whether it's a wedding ceremony, whether it's Yerush Hashanah or Sukkot feasts. Why wine? Why not make Kiddush on a nice cup of freshly squeezed orange juice? Or seltzer? Or whatever you like, Coca-Cola. Why wine? Now, Kiddush on wine tells us something essential about the Jewish attitude towards food, towards pleasure, towards life itself. Throughout history, the pendulum has swung between two kinds of societies. On the one hand, there are prudish cultures that deny pleasure. There are some faiths that prohibit drinking wine or any alcohol at all. And on the other hand, there's hedonistic cultures that worship pleasure. What is the Jewish perspective? Judaism rejects the extremes. As my mother of blessed memory used to tell me, Alts mitatsi toignisht. Any extreme is extreme. We cannot be fanatical in any way. We need to have moderation, and even moderation must be with moderation. So Judaism tells us we have to sanctify the pleasures of the world. So what is kiddush over wine? It's not it's not marginal to Judaism, but it's the essence of Judaism. The Torah begins with God creating the universe, and at the end of creation, what does it say? God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. What does that mean? His blessings are material as well as spiritual. We don't have to repress the material world and its pleasures. We could sanctify it. So as we do that, we make kiddush. We use the fruit of the vine to celebrate the holiness of the day. And that's the importance of Kiddush, is sanctifying the pleasures of the world. A Jew celebrates life. We make blessings over life. We find God in the texture of everyday life, in family, in our relationships, in a goblet of wine. Kiddush means God is found not just in the remote heavens or the innermost recesses of the soul, but in the ordinary life as well. We find God not only in prayer, but in the joys of our material existence. So wine at our Shabbos meal, or at your Pesach Seder, or at a wedding ceremony, or at a bris, whatever celebration you're drinking wine, symbolizes that we are experiencing something that is simultaneously joyous and sacred. To be a Jew is to celebrate life. To be a Jew is to make Kiddush on wine and celebrate every moment of life we have. L'chaim, my friends. We'll be right back in a moment and we'll talk about the challah.
Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. Got an important announcement here. No? Oh, here does it go. The Bucky Draw will take place on Sunday, 1 o'clock at Norwood Hyper in the car park. Very important. No further entries will be accepted after 11 o'clock on the 28th of October. All entrants are to be present at the draw in order to be considered eligible as a possible prize winner. So it's this Sunday. There'll be a lot of activities in the car park, moves, fireworks, and Ringo will be selling Chalav Israel and Mahadran Commission products. Spend 1,500 rands on groceries and stand a chance to spin the wheel for a prize. Lots of specials. Rabbi Kravitz will do the draw. So don't miss that. And as I said, we'll talk about the challah now. Before we go on with our meal after Kiddush, we're going to wash our hands as we always do before eating any bread. The ancient Jewish practice is to wash our hands before eating bread. We fill up a cup, pour the water over each hand. And what does that signify? What is the symbolism of doing so? Well, washing our hands signals the sacred nature of a meal. It reminds us that one of the most physical of the body's needs, food, is a gift from God. And therefore, we have to invest it with a sense of holiness. Yes, like the wine that we're going to drink and sanctify. So the tradition is that we don't speak from the time that we wash our hands to eat the bread so we don't make a hefsik, any interruption between the blessing and the mitzvah. And for some people I know, that few minutes is a little bit harder than fasting and Yom Kippur. The question that someone's asked is, why two loaves of bread? Why two chalas? Or as here a lot of people like to call it, kitka. Well, after the Jews left Egypt, we know there was the euphoria that they had from the miraculous escape from emancipation from slavery. And all of a sudden they got to adapt to the new harsh realities of the desert. And they trekked from one oasis to another and food was becoming difficult to acquire. Short supply and the people's dissatisfaction broke into an outcry, kvetching, complaining. So God promised them special bread from heaven, a flying kosher delicatessen known as manna. Think of it as a pastrami on rye in the, from the sky. So, this is how it worked. Every day, a single portion of mana arrived at your doorstep, outside your tent, to nourish you and your family. But on Fridays, in preparation for Shabbos, God sent a double portion of mana, so you wouldn't have to work in collecting any food on Shabbos. No mana would fall from heaven on Shabbos. Now, once the Jewish people entered the land of Israel, the mana stopped coming down altogether. And now, all of a sudden... They had to physically work. They had to toil to survive. And so, for the while during the 40 years that manna fell from heaven, it was obvious that God was feeding the people. But now that the Jews arrived in a land flowing with milk and honey, and they could gr- they have to actually work and harvest the land for the food to grow, the challenge was not to recognize that God still was the ultimate source of their blessings. And in a sense, ever since then, we too face that challenge. We sit around our Shabbos table with our loved ones and we're made aware of the blessings in our life. 
We have to recall the source of a blessing. In fact, Moses tells the Jewish people, don't forget the source of your blessing. You're going to come to Israel. You're going to become successful. You're going to be prosperous. Don't forget the source of your blessing. And so on Shabbos, we make a blessing on two loaves of challah, two kitkas, to commemorate the extra portion of mana that we received in the wilderness during our 40 years of trekking through the desert. It reminds us that just as God provided for our ancestors needed in the desert, how we today, regardless of whatever circumstances we have, as prosperous, as successful as we might be, we don't forget the blessing. We don't forget God. We don't create the bounty of the world, regardless how much we do to develop and enhance the world around us. The mana, the flying kosher delicatessen, has never actually ended in that sense. Because every day we have tremendous blessings in our life. The challenge is to be able to recognize the blessings that we have every single day. And so I ask you to look around your life, count your blessings, see the beautiful things you have. And so during those years when the Jews were first coming to the land of Israel and they had to start working hard, it was a recognition, acknowledging where the blessing comes from. Do that at your Shabbos table. Let me share with you another thought or two. Well, the first Shabbos that my wife and I were married, and in fact, we celebrated our anniversary just last week, so maybe it was this week. Anyways, somebody came up to me in shul, and he tells me he's offering some advice. And I always remember that advice is the only only commodity with more in supply than demand. So it's always worthwhile to listen. If it's not good advice, you let it in one ear out the other. And this gentleman told me that when he was first got married, he said that he imagined a Shabbos table. His family would sit around and they would talk and they would share divrei Torah and they would sing songs. And he says he envisioned this atmosphere would be a warm and loving and the conversation filled with interesting thoughts and laughter and jokes and people enjoying each other's company would be beautiful. This idyllic moment of family bliss. I'm sure many people do have it. He said though, that then the children came. And the kids made a ruckus. And they made noise. And they'd get bored of the Shabbos table. And they'd run away. And they'd run around and they'd play. And they'd fight with each other. And who knows what they'd do. He said the problem was that I had real live kids. They weren't fantasies. They weren't these cherubs. They weren't sitting and doing this idealistic stuff. Real kids don't love sitting clamped down in a seatbelt at the Shabbos table. So I'm like, why on earth are you telling me this? You're trying to tell me that we shouldn't have children? We should forget Shabbos dinners? And my friend said, no, no, no. Tells me, now his kids are grown up. And what do they say? They say, Mom, Dad, Abba, Ima, remember those great Shabbos dinners we used to have? Weren't those the best? So he told me, when you make a beautiful family Shabbos dinner, what you're doing is you're sowing family memories that are going to last forever. And he was absolutely correct. Because even though his Shabbos dinners maybe weren't as successful as he thought at the beginning, and I could attest to this 11 years later the same, but he was actually building a strong foundation for his children, for his Jewish growth and development and their happiness. His Shabbos dinners were the spiritual equivalent of planting a bamboo tree.
My friends, I got only two minutes left. I want to tell you about the bamboo tree. Have you ever heard of him? It's a marvel of nature. Because after the seed of the tree is planted, you see nothing for four years except for this tiny little plant. And you water and fertilize it for four years, but nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, suddenly in the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo tree shoots up into the sky and it grows an astonishing 90 feet. That's as tall as a nine-story building. Why do we serve two... Why, why do we do this? Well, my friends, during those four years, all that growth is happening underground. The Chinese bamboo tree develops an enormous network of strong roots that spread and go deep into the earth. But if the farmer caring for the tree lost his patience, he would stop watering and nurturing the plant during those four years, four long years, I should say, when he doesn't see any tangible results, the tree wouldn't grow. Growth takes patience and persistence. Every drop of water makes a difference. Every Shabbos table makes a difference. And so, my friends, we've known this for thousands of years, the force of the Shabbos tables created sacred moments that draw families together and bring us closer to each other and to God. My dear friends, tomorrow Enjoy your Shabbos with your family and friends. And even if the kids are running around, your children will grow to great spiritual heights, celebrating Shabbos as they see it with you. So my dear friends, enjoy and cherish these moments. Have patience because indeed your kids will love it and so will you. My dear friends, wishing you carpe diem, seize the moment and enjoy a meaningful, beautiful Shabbos project. Shabbat Shalom.